that was right. That was right. Okay, yes. It's been two weeks and probably aren't sure what we're doing. Hey, everybody. How are you all? Happy New Year, 2023. New Year. Yes, I was sitting here a few, like 10 minutes ago, and I was ticking down my list going, oh, I forgot this, I forgot this, I forgot this, I need a camera, I need this, I need this. You know, yes. yeah. how, do, how many weeks did we take off? Did we take off months? No. No, two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. I went out for a wonderful lunch with a friend, and I came back home, and Scott has done a lot of picking up in the office. No, Not- I, no I did that like... Three days ago. Oh, darn. <laughs> I guess I haven't Not been today. back here Mondays looking are busy. at them. Uh, looking at it, but yeah. yeah. Maybe someday, at some point in time, we'll be able to do a panoramic view. Oh, that's brave. 2024? That's really, that's really stepping out there, Patty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Could be. Oh, Could be. Boy. Wow. Well, okay. So we're glad everybody's here. Yes. And to start off, Second Thessalonians. You know, it's a very, very short book. In my regular, my desk Bible in print that I use is an NRSV, and the whole thing fits on two pages, right oh like this. Oh my goodness! Right, that's right, like that. That's it. That's Second Thessalonians right there. So, if you have thoughts about where you would like to go after Second Thessalonians, let me know. Remember, we sort of crowdsourced doing Isaiah. That was a long journey. That we was. did that on Mondays, right? Yes, we did. I can remember it from yes. here. Yes. Yes. So we did do. So anyway, yeah, I'm yes. open to a lot of suggestions. Doesn't mean I'll Old do Old Testament, them. New Testament. I'm gospel. open. I'm open. Okay. I'm open to anything. You okay. know, I'd like it to be something I haven't podcasted yet. I'm not ready to start repeating the episodes, all the podcast episodes, because I'm trying to get the church to do more with them than the church has done in the past. So I've got a number of series up now. I did all these different books of the Bible with these full episodes of what, what happens on Monday and on Tuesday. So anyway, um, what else is new? Anything? No, nope. we had, it was so great to be back at church yesterday. It was. Thought everything went really, really smooth big and atten- well. Big worship attendance. Just... My 11 o'clock class was big. Um, Lauren's kickoff for this for the sort of the new version of the route was big. Um, they were pulling chairs out down in Peril Hall at nine thirty, so that's really great because it's getting yes. some of the younger people, the, um, the contemporary people involved in Bible studies. So, yep. so we now have at St Andrew we have Sunday morning at nine thirty, Monday afternoon at three o'clock streaming only, and then Tuesday in Peril Hall, and. All three are basically books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. They were just rolling up our sleeves and actually reading every verse and talking about them. And I think that's fabulous. I do I too. think it's great. So for the people who go to 930 and then your 11 o'clock class, how would they be able to go back and watch Lauren's class? We'll need to ask her about okay. that. I'm not sure we'll what get, she's we'll doing with it. We'll get some kind of link for that. And if she we may can. not be as... Technically adept as I am. Oh, <laughs> oh brother! <laughs> but I'll I lay know. that down as a challenge. Yeah. There, oh, how's yes. that? If she's recording it, there would be a way. Yeah, it would yeah. be. See, I can, and of course, Scott and I, we never can go I can't because go. we're we're nine thirty people, nine thirty folks, and so this would be good. Though I would very much enjoy. So new things, new year at St. Andrew, yes. lots of Bible studies going on. It's great. That's right. And she's doing Luke. Right? She's doing Luke. The, the yeah. Gospel of yeah. Luke. So. So don't suggest the Gospel of Luke. Well, it would be a very different journey, <laughs> whether true. it was being led by Lauren or by me, That's right? True. That's that the thing about the true. Bible. Yeah. And and it, each time you go back through a book that you say, oh, I've already done that. But then if you go back through it again, you realize, wow, no, I'm seeing it differently. I'm hearing it differently. It means different things to me. Um, oh, here we go. That's That's how it is. So you ready to begin Second Thessalonians? I am so. You're so ready. Ready. Okay. I am. Good. I am. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here in this new year, 2023, and beginning a, this journey that'll be a you know, fairly brief journey through Second Thessalonians. It's a fairly brief letter from Paul to the um, to the Thessalonians, and we but we pray that your Holy Spirit, who is with all of us. And has called us to this and binds us together, or even across the digital domains, 
that um, you will fill us with lots of energy and enthusiasm um, and just guide us as we read these letters and study them and contemplate them so that we may grow in our discipleship. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And in case anybody's new out there and you haven't done this with us before, please feel free to type in any comments, any questions you have at any point in time. The comment block on Facebook is the way for us to actually have some conversation. Yes. And it happens. It does. It I, does. You know, I wish we could do more of it, but it's it. some of the ways people do that don't work too well with larger numbers of people. So Right. But this... This it's works really well. well in this class, and there's a, a number of you that, that are really, um, you know, you're just out there. Don't be afraid. Please don't, because some of the comments you hear me making to Scott, I'm like, oh my goodness, is he going to think I'm crazy? But it's what came to mind, and you know what? He always says it's a worthwhile whatever question. One, whatever question is on one person's mind is on the mind of five other people. Yes. I've learned that. What if there's only four other people there? Well, then it's not going to be five other people. <laughs> <Okay>. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Patty. Okay, so 2 Thessalonians. You know, it's, it's, let me give you the background for it. Okay, so on Mondays, on in this class, we are, we have just Patty, come out. you are glowing, honey. I'm glowing too bright. Turn. You are so glowing. Well, how about now? Well, it's going to take a few seconds for it to turn. Yeah, okay, it'll be better. I pulled it way back. Oh, that's so much better. So much better. Yes. So, um, 2 Thessalonians, um, 1 Thessalonians is a letter Paul wrote on his second missionary journey, not too long after leaving Thessalonica, basically being chased out of town. And 2 Thessalonians is a second letter to the Thessalonians, Maybe written a few weeks, a few months after the first letter, and they were left separate. Second Corinthians is probably a, a hodgepodge of a couple letters from Paul, at least, um, sort of mashed together. But First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians are separate letters, and sure enough, the second one followed the first by some probably not terribly long period of time. So I, I guess what I will, I'll begin with is like a map, just to make sure we're all together here. And we love maps, right? So this is the map I use frequently to show Paul's second missionary journey. The first one in, say, 48 or 49 AD, which would mean less than 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection because that happened in about 30, okay, A.D., about 30, 30 A.D. So his first journey followed a similar path up into southern Turkey. See where the word Pisidia is there? But then he just traveled around there and went back to, uh, uh, to the east. That was as far as he got. But on this second journey, he goes back, he goes northward, um, and then heads over to the places like Derby and Lystra in Pisidia, revisits these house churches that he had started. Then he heads kind of north, and all this is recounted in the book of Acts, and then heads westward to Troas, and then across over to the Macedonia-slash-Greece mainland. And just follows a highway. This is a really good highway traveling down the coastline there and uh, goes to Philippi and then to Thessalonica, Thessalonia. Um, and the story of that is told in Acts 17, verse 1. It's just real short. We did this when I started 1 Thessalonians, but it won't hurt to, to, to do it again right now. So if you would, if we could all turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Just to get grounded here. And I'm reading from the NIV, which I've typically been using lately when reading aloud. So, Acts 17, verse 1. Okay. 
Susan says Zephaniah, Susan Faulkner says Zephaniah would be interesting. But she's got a wink, I think, there, happening there. That's one of those ones where you <laughs> One of those little ones. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe I'll put together a... We could just take a look at a few of those, right? Okay, so Acts 17, verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Thessalonica is a pretty good-sized place. It is the capital of the Macedonian district, as it were. Um, there are um, a, enough Jews there, there's a large enough Jewish community to have a synagogue. Now, verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Typical Paul pattern. First thing he does is go to the synagogue if there is one. And, right, Explain in verse 3, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So he's using the Hebrew Bible, your Old Testament, and reasoning his way and using that the, the text and the story and so forth uh, and the, uh, the books of the prophets to build the case that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And then he goes on to say, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Now some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, Silas being one of Paul's traveling companions, also known as Silvanus. Same, same name, just two different languages. Paul and Silas slash Silvanus. As did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So he has some Jews come to him, respond well to this preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. Some God-fearing Greeks. These are Greeks who found themselves drawn to the Hebrew God, but not going so far as to get circumcised or anything like that. But they're still, they're familiar. They know. They might pray. They might do everything, but they don't go so far this is for the men, of course, as to get circumcised and try to genuinely in some way convert in that manner. And quite a few prominent women. Prominent women, not just women in general, but prominent women. Verse 5, but other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the mark ruffians from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. This is just a man named Jason who is actually providing um, a place for Paul and Silas to stay on their journey. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. You know, there is always in the New Testament a political, what you and I might call a political dimension to the good news. Because there is a king, and that king is Caesar. And he rules over a vast empire. The Roman Republic has been dead for 90 years by this time, roughly. 80 or 90 years by this time. And, he, and, and Caesar rules over a growing empire. And there are many client kings and subservient kings and vassals and stuff like Herod, though he's long gone, and others. The king, the big dog, is Caesar. And so an element of the good news that can't be ignored is the claim that Jesus is the king. Not just of the Jews, but the Lord of all, which you see cutting across the entire New Testament. He is Messiah, but he is far more. He is far more. And so it's a direct challenge to Caesar. So the men... The, the, the townspeople um, who are accusing Paul about this, they don't really have it wrong, right? Yes. 
and it's a good way to make trouble. It's the same thing if you read the story of Jesus' crucifixion. What is basically the charge brought to Pontius Pilate by the Pharisees that Jesus is putting himself up to be king? And there can only be one, and that's Caesar. And so there is, you need to see the sort of the political challenge here, not not just the, you know, we're real, we get used to talking about the spiritual elements of it, but there are practical political elements of it as well. And here they're being played out. These men, they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Well, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Never good in a city in the Roman Empire. What the Romans wanted was for the peace to be kept and for the taxes to be collected. Disturbing the peace, making trouble, riots, all of that, it was just not the way that the Romans wanted their empire to be run and the cities in their empire to be run. So then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Go on to verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And look at verse 13. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, just down the road, right? Some of them went there too, agitated the crowds and stirring them up. And so what they ended up doing was shipping Paul um, to further down the coast, okay? Including, and Silas and Timothy stayed behind. So if you go look at your map, I realized that the map up the whole time. Oh, well, it's okay. So if you look at your map, you can see that there's a long journey from Berea all the way down around to Athens. Because in the in your new in the book of Acts, that's the next place Paul shows up is actually in yes. Athens, and then he goes from Athens to Corinth. Yes. Okay. So um, uh, he chased out of town, a lot of trouble. Um, this is a picture um, of the, uh, it's a model of of Thessalonica, a bit of one um, in Paul's day. Uh, this is some of the ruins of the marketplace and forum and um, that go back to to Paul's to Paul's day. That's kind of a funny shot. Is it kind of a funny shot? Well, all the cars all the and stuff cars, parked, yes. parked there. Yeah. Usually we're usually set a little further back when we see ruins from actual cars that parked in a parking lot. Well, these are right smack dab in the middle of downtown Thessaloniki, which is how the city's called today, Thessaloniki. And so the people aren't willing to give up any more land than they have to for these digs, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. So here's where we are. You see the red arrows pointing down to Corinth. That's where Paul is when he writes 1 Thessalonians and then he writes 2 Thessalonians. And... um, what it creates uh, is a situation where he is grateful for the obedience and for the love of the Thessalonian Christians, and he is con- concerned for them because they are in a swirling, a swirling pot of trouble. Just if you view a pot that's boiling and swirling, that's kind of what they're in. I mean, it took a lot to get Paul chased out of town. And just imagine then, that wasn't even enough. The Jews in Thessalonica, probably the vast majority of them, I would think, were so upset they actually made their own way down to Berea to confront Paul again. So it is really a mess in Thessalonica, and that's what the Christians are dealing with. And so we saw First Thessalonians, which was very much focused upon with Paul's gratitude for them, um, answering a few questions that they have, some fears that they have. Remember in First Thessalonians 4 about grandma being left behind and Jesus returns and all this stuff. And Second Thessalonians 
will have a lot of characteristics like the first letter. He will again express his gratitude for these people and he will address issues that are bubbling up. To continue my boiling pot metaphor, issues that are boiling up in the Christian community, um, probably, probably by some people who want to make trouble and probably by others who are just, they, have, they were left to drift. I mean, it's not like it was other places where, where Paul, I mean, Paul's going to spend 18 months in Corinth. 18 months in Corinth. And in Thessalonica, he is chased out of town very quickly. So he had no, no real time to build much or teach much. And um, he left Timothy, Tim, Timothy and Silas behind, but it's, they're helpful, but they're not Paul. They're not Paul. So, um, we spent some in November and all of December in 1 Thessalonians, and now we're going to go to the second letter, 2 Thessalonians, just chapter 1, verse 1. And this letter deals with some things that <clears throat> have been very challenging for Christians. Okay? Um, especially in our day, I, I think. Um, let me explain what the common lectionary is. So the common lectionary is a three-year system of scripture readings. Old and New Testament laid out for every Sunday over a three-year cycle. And for a lot of churches, a lot of nominations, uh, we, Patty and I, went to a Catholic church on Staten Island last fall, and they did their lectionary readings and so forth. Um, some churches use lectionary. That's how the sermons are done. They don't have sermon series the way we do them at St. Andrew. Um, they have they preach from the lectionary. So every Sunday, there are several scripture offerings offered to the preacher in that schedule. And the preacher picks the one and preaches the sermon. Then you go on to the next. And after three years, it starts over. But because there's like four passages offered every Sunday, it gives the preacher a lot of flexibility. So the opening of of Second Thessalonians is a lectionary reading. But here's the weakness of the lectionary. It leaves some verses out. There are some verses we're going to pretty quickly get to that can be seen as pretty challenging or, or troubling. And it, they, the lectionary just leaves them out. And it's not good, you know? Um, I'm thinking of those documents the government puts out where you see all these lines and paragraphs marked out. You know what I mean, Patty? And they redact everything. They redact everything. Yes. So we don't need redacted Bible readings. We don't, we don't need people to just skip verses because they're difficult or challenging or even potentially upsetting. You know, you have to have confidence that God gave us these writings for a reason. And we have to wrestle with the parts that we love and the parts that, you know, make our eyes bug out and the parts that are difficult because they come from thousands of years ago and the parts that, that feel like, gosh, this was written yesterday. All of it's there in these 66 books that constitute the library of the Bible. And it bugs me. Um, I think in, in theory, the lectionary is a good idea. But I don't like the fact that they skip difficult things, even chopping them out of readings, which is what they do in the first chapter of Second Thessalonians. Gosh, that's hard for me to say. Okay, so didn't Thomas Jefferson almost do the same thing, that he just cut up the Bible itself? Yeah, what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson was not a Christian in the sense that we are. Thomas Jefferson was what at the time was called a deist. He believed there was some sort of God um, uh, uh, who got everything started, but then, dis then is utterly uninvolved in the world. 
So he, what he didn't like in the New Testament was anything dealing with the miraculous. So he took the New Testament and basically cut out big portions of it to create a New Testament that he liked. I have a, I have a copy of it on my shelf back here. And you end up with sort of a life of Jesus and some ethical stuff in it. You leave out, he had to cut out a lot in it. When you, when you talk about the things that don't fit into his sense of what's possible in the natural world. And just that's, you know, that was, Ben Franklin was a deist. A number of the founders were deists. They, they didn't really, they didn't really hold a Christian worldview like you and I do. There were many signers on the Declaration of Independence who did, who would have a worldview like John Wesley's, for example. But some of the big names, some of the big names, they sure didn't. They sure didn't. So yeah, redaction. So what I like about the way we do I the way we do these classes now is I don't have to redact anything. The only time I redact anything is if like we did in Exodus, remember when you get the exact same blueprint instructions repeated a few chapters later yes. and it's just yes. so boring. Yeah, there there we might have you know skipped over a few verses, but that's the only reason. Not be that isn't why the lectionary does it. The lectionary does it because, oh my gosh, we can't talk about this. So, all right, friends. So turn to 2 Thessalonians, verse 1. Thanks for the suggestions, Theodos. Maybe Hosea. That is an interesting book. Um, I think I did James not too long ago, but I'll take a look at that. So... All right, so here we go. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That is the same salutation that began the first letter, First Thessalonians. It's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, or in some translations, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Um, it's, it's just a difference in how the man's name is spelled. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord... Jesus Christ. Arthur's been hitting that a bit lately in his sermons. To call Jesus Lord is this astonishing thing to do. The man only died and was resurrected 20 years before. And Paul, this radically monotheistic Jew, a Pharisee, refers to Jesus as Lord. Um, in the Greek, it's Kyrios. In the Hebrew, it would be Adonai. It is the word used in the place of God's name every time the Jews read the Old Testament. They would never pronounce God's name, and they used the word Adonai instead, Lord. That's why it says in countless places in your Old Testament, the Lord God. Because it's actually God's name with the word for God, L-E-L, at um at the end. And Lord is a big word. Lord is a, as I was just talking about, a political word. Who is the Lord of the Roman Empire? Caesar. It's Caesar. Caesar wouldn't brook any competition. You getting hot over there, baby? Oh, I'm just playing with it. I had it too hot on. Yeah, you can you can just turn it off if you like. Whatever you want to do. We have a very fancy uh, HVAC system in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we get it. The Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of meaning packed into that. The man's name is Jesus. The title of Lord and the title of Christ are given to him. Christ, of course, is means Messiah. Messiah in Greek is Christos. And from that we get Christ. So the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one, becomes Messiah, becomes Christos, becomes Christ. They all mean the same thing, and it's this royal term. Because kings were anointed. David was anointed. 
by, by Samuel. Um, and we're, again, it's, it's what could it be? 50, 80, 20 years. And Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, King Jesus. So maybe another way you could do this. And then he goes on to write, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters. He has, he's grateful for them. And they're going through a lot. He saw it firsthand. And he says, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. The proper way, the best way to see this, when he tells them that their faith is growing more and more, is to put the emphasis on what God is doing. Their faith is a gift from God. My faith is a gift from God to me. Patty's faith is a gift from God to her. We have to resist the idea that it's some project of our own that leads to it. That's not how it is. Um, if it's a project that we have engaged in and been successful at, well, then grace has nothing to do with that. It's all about the gift, the gift, the gift, the gift. And I think that is hard for people in our day and age. Um, we're, very, we're very focused on what we can do to accomplish X, to accomplish Y, to accomplish Z, and um, to be rewarded for it, and and that makes us feel right with the universe and all that kind of stuff. And to simply be willing to acknowledge that it's a gift, that I, the faith I have in Jesus, however meager it might be at a given time, or however strong it might be at a later time, it's all a gift from God, a gift that, yes, I am called then to... to come to understand what the life of a disciple is and live that life, but it's a gift. Um, notice how Paul began verse 2. Grace and peace to you. That word grace is a word that you just need, you're going to have to hang on to it here because it's, 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 it's fundamental to who, to who God is and what God is doing. The whole emphasis of the Bible is not on what we do or what they did way back then. The, the emphasis of the Bible is on what God does. The Bible is God's revelation of himself. It is a revelation of what God has done in order to rescue us. And why does God do that? Simply because of his grace. It's a gift. A gift from someone who loves us. So Paul looks at the Thessalonians. He says, your faith is growing and growing. And that's a gift. And so is the love that they have for one another. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Their faith is increasing. Their love for one another is increasing. This is what the church is. You know, we... I've participated in more in between the profit sector, the nonprofit sector in St. Andrew. I participated in more mission statement writing exercises than I would like to admit. And they're inevitably about what we are going to do. Okay? And mission statements need to reflect what God is doing. To say that, let's take St. Andrew for example. Let's say we had a mission statement that said simply, St. Andrew, we will be a place where love for one another and our love for God is increasing. 
That's it. That that's like that that's like the that's like the purpose of the church being here. What what are we here? What what is Saint Andrew or any other church here for? Except to love one another and to love God. I mean, those are the love commandments given us by Jesus. Right? It's what all the Old Testament commandments boil down to. It is it it is what we're about. It's why God made us. Why did God make us? Why did God make the church? Why is God rescuing us? All of that is because of a, of 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 concrete of of concrete love. And so Paul says that then your faith is growing, your love is for one another is increasing, and you know it brings Paul a lot of joy to learn of that, to hear about that, that that's what's happening. Because remember the end of First Timothy, he had First uh, Timothy. First Thessalonians, he had sent Timothy back to Thessalonica, and then Timothy came back with a report. So Paul isn't, you know, shooting in the dark here about what's going on up there. He knows. So Timothy has come back and said, well, there's some wonderful things happening. We have issues. They have issues. But there's some wonderful things happening. Your faith is, their faith is growing more and more. And you can see that their love for one another is increasing. And Paul would say, well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast. It isn't like bragging, but, but we lift you up, right? We, we, we want other people to see your perseverance and your faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Because it's not good back in Thessalonica. And yet they have persevered, their faith is growing, their love for one another is growing, God's grace is being poured out on them, God's gifts are being given to them, um, and in spite of the circumstances in which they find themselves. And we can imagine what some of those might be. Um, family members being cast out, People being un, unwilling to to well, people being shunned, I guess, is a way you might put it, removed from the society. People being unwilling to trade with them in the marketplace. There's a lot of ways these persecutions can happen um, without it coming from the authorities. But there may even be some of that. We just don't know the details of it all. And then we come to the verses that are cut out of the lectionary. And Paul then says, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. Okay, that God's judgment is right. And of course, you look at that sentence, what do you think, Patty? Well, I just... I'm guessing they take it out because a lot of people don't want to think about that you're going to be judged by God at some point in time. Yes, that, that, that's one part of that answer for sure. But God's judgment is right. You know, it's... Yes. it's mm-hmm. um, and judgment here in this sense of God being willing and ready and must act in the face of evil and wrong. We use the word salvation a lot in the church. I use the word rescue a lot. Well, what are we being rescued from? You know, at the heart of it, what we're being rescued from is God's judgment in the sense that this world and those of us who participate in a world that is so often driven by greed and envy and violence and lust, that we, we aren't being the people God created us to be. And God has to God has to do something about that. And 
we are being saved from God's anger about that. And that is God's anger or God's wrath is, again, a topic that some pulpits don't like to talk about, but there's a lot in this world that anybody wants, wants God to be wrathful about, angry about. Used to be we always had to resort to using, you know, Hitler or something like that, you know, in the Holocaust. But look what's happening right now in the Ukraine with Putin and the Russians and missiles coming in, just killing innocent people and innocent children. They're just living in these cities they've lived in forever. And who would have guessed that in 2023 there would be a land war in Europe? I remember hearing Ukrainian citizens talking about this a year ago. They said, yes, we know Putin's on our border, but this stuff doesn't happen in the 21st century. He's not going to do anything. This is the 21st century. And I wonder how many of those people who I saw on video expressing that view are now dead because... Because we haven't grown past evil, and evil, evil comes out of the darkness in the human heart. We haven't grown past that. And we don't want God to ignore that, do we? Mm-mm. You know, we can fall into the trap of thinking, well, it's always somebody else, and I'm perfectly fine. But, you know, we have to... We have to look at ourselves um, with a cold eye if we if we think that somehow we're we're perfectly fine as far as God is concerned. I can remember when I first started this work, so this is like twenty years ago now, and I would read a Gallup poll, and the poll would basically ask people, "Hey, do you think you're good enough to get get into heaven?" You know what percentage of Americans twenty years ago said. Yes, 65%. So two out of three Americans 20 years ago said, yep, I'm good enough to get into heaven. That is an incredible blindness to the darkness in our own hearts that come out when we gossip Scott. Yeah. Okay. So a follow-up question to that: If the same question was asked of those folks, I wonder what percent would have answered that they were Christian. Well, twenty years ago, most. Twenty okay. years ago, most people in America would have answered yes to a fact I'm a Christian. Uh, you'd have to break it down. How many of those people were actually churchgoers and stuff? Yes. Yes. But two thirds is enough to tell you that there's a whole bunch. Of, there were a whole bunch of church-going. Christians who would say, yeah, yeah, I think I'm good enough. And I'll bet you dollars to donuts, you'd get the same result today. Because we have a lot of defense mechanisms, right? We don't really want to admit that we too are part of the problem. We want to see it in everybody else. We want to see it in Putin, or we want to see it in all these people that are emblazoned across our TV screens who do terrible things. But we want to say, oh, that's not us, you know? I'm nice, and um, uh, but we're not, <laughs> first of all, the Christian ethic is a lot deeper than simply being nice, but no, we're not always nice. Just, you know, I think so much of us seen in how we, how we talk about other people. Or how we shun other people or exclude other people. Um, the way that we protect ourselves at the expense of others. What does Paul write in Philippians? Ah, well, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Put the interests of others ahead of your own. Well, when you put the bar there, who among us really does that? Sure, I might do it with Patty. Or I might do it with my kids. Maybe I'd even do it with a few of you guys who are on here right now. But the world at large, nope, sorry. I can't imagine, I can't really imagine going there. Putting everybody's interests ahead of my own. Wow. 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 
But I'm supposed to love everybody. I'm supposed to love everybody, not romantically, but in the way that I would care for them and care about them the way I care for and care about Patty. But that's not happening. I mean, Jesus said, ah, it's easy to love your brothers and your wife and your family. You gotta love, you gotta love your enemy. Now, you know, it takes an honest eye. And so he says, in verb, go back to um, 2 Thessalonians, he says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and he's going to explain. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Saying that there are people on the side of good and there are people on the side of wrong. Side of right and side of wrong. Side of good and side of evil. Remember, evil is whatever diminishes the good. Is the, are the house churches in Thessalonica good? Is that a good thing, that there are house churches now in Thessalonica yes. born out of the good news? Yes. That It's like if you view a big pool of goodness in the world, the level of good is increasing as these house churches are being spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay? The acts to destroy these house churches are acts that diminish the good, that diminish the, the pool of goodness in the world. So yes, some people on the side of good, other people on the side of evil. And yes, um, I understand that there are situations in life in which that can be difficult to discern sometimes. But there are a lot, most situations in life are not that difficult to discern, I don't think, when you're striving to live within a biblical worldview. You know, we can twist ourselves into not so many knots that we can convince ourselves we can't possibly tell right from wrong. But that's, those are knots we have to undo and cut away and hear God saying to us, pursue, pursue the good, because there's plenty of Bible about in scripture about what the good looks like and what the good is and what isn't the good right so he says verse 5 all this is evidence that god's judgment is right and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of god for which you are suffering god is just god is not confused about what is right and what is wrong Right? Go back to the story in Genesis. So, um, God creates everything there is. He pronounces it all good. Up and down the line, it's all good. He creates the humans, gives them a beautiful place to live and to work. Right? And they toss it away. They do the one thing God told them not to do, and they have to leave. So they have to leave the garden, and things instantly start to fall apart. And before you know it, almost at the snap of a finger, one of their son, sons kills his brother. Wow. And you read on just a little bit further, and what does it say at the beginning of chapter 6 in Genesis? <sighs> evil was everywhere. Evil, evil, evil. From morning to night, it's all anybody thought about. It's all anything anybody did. Evil, evil, evil. And so, you know, you have the flood, and you have Noah's. God attempts to rid the world of that evil. It doesn't really work. It doesn't work because, you know, he has to work with what he's got, and that's Noah, who had his own flaws, and his sons who have their own flaws. But God is God is just. God is after. He can't He can't not be just. He must be just. He is what just is. God is goodness. God is goodness. That's That's why you, God can't commit an an evil God can't commit an evil act. Because God is good. Good, good, good. God is goodness. 
and evil is born out of the hearts of men and women who diminish that, the goodness in this world. That's what evil is. But God is good and God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Everybody has to make a choice in life. Are you going to choose God? Are you going to choose the good? Or are you going to choose the evil? Can you see that these house churches in Thessalonica are good? Even if you don't find yourself moved to become part of the house churches, can you at least not try to tear them down? Might be a good question to ask some of these people. Just leave them be. For the gifts given them might be given you. But just leave them be. But they could, they won't leave them be. They're persecuting them. They're tearing them down. This would be the Christian story for hundreds of years. Not everywhere, but finally in about 275, that Roman edict went out to get rid of the Christians across the empire. It didn't succeed, but... The Christians were, were, were well familiar with, with persecutions of various sorts. So Paul Wright tells them, just to remind them, to encourage them. This is, this is very standard Jewish stuff of the first century A.D. and had been for such a long time that the day was coming when God would put things right. And you wanted to be among those who had done right. God will put things right. The Jews had been persecuted. The Israelites had been driven out of Egypt, enslaved. They had been, Babylon had come in and destroyed Jerusalem, and destroyed God's temple. And the Jews had a strong belief that God would someday put an end to this. And he would, he, he would, he would strike down those who had afflicted them, had done such violence to them. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. It's almost, what is it like? It's almost like Paul is saying to them, you know, I know things are tough, but, but you're with God. You're with God in this. And, and God wins. <laughs> God wins. And, and you, you've chosen the right path. Everybody has to choose what path they're going to walk on in life. Is it going to be the path toward God? Is it going to be the path um, away from God and toward the world's ways and toward Caesar and the rest and whoever Caesar, the various Caesars of today? God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And, right, this will happen when, see, you gotta have, you got to have this long view of things. When will the world, world be put to rights? When will these judgments be rendered? Do bad things happen to good people? Yes. Do bad people always pay in this world at the time? No, they don't. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when whom? The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He whom Jesus will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day Jesus, he, he, Jesus, comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. 
So what Paul is describing here is a day such as described at the end of the book of Revelation, which will not be written for decades. When Paul writes this letter in 50 AD, Revelation will not be written for decades yet. But the picture is the same. In the book of Revelation, who rides in on the white horse? It's Jesus. Leading the angel armies, it's Jesus. Who renders the judgment? It's Jesus. Who renders the judgment here? It's Jesus. And people might say, well, you come on. This is, this is what I don't like about Paul. Dang it, you know, that's not the Jesus I meet in the Gospels. And I would say to such a person, well, do a better job of reading the Gospels then. Let me tell you one parable. One parable is about the weeds and the wheat, right? So, so it's a parable about a landowner who's got some people who work for him and they go out and they're planting the field, right? And they, they see that, that weeds are growing up amongst all the good stuff, which happens in all my gardens. All righty. Well, we're, we're almost done. Let me just make a, just, let me just make a, a, a few connections. Okay. The, the first thing to see is that the, who the judge is in this. The judge is Jesus. And I was telling the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And it's so good. I'm going to see if I can finish it this time. So you have the landowner, and they plant the field with the wheat, I'll call it. And weeds grow up, and they're choking away. And the servants come in, the people work in the field and they say to the lander, well, we'll go out and we'll, we'll pull up all the weeds. And the landowner says, no, don't do that. I'll take care of that. And they, that's what happens. The landowner says, I'll take care of that at the end of the harvest. And what it is about is the fact that, you know, it is none of our place to go out and weed that weed out the body of Christ and say, well, who's a Christian? Who isn't a Christian? None of that. It will be Jesus at the end of time, not at the end of time, when he returns, who will be the one that does that um, harvesting and makes those judgments. And that is the, that's the picture set forth in the book of Revelation, because in the book of Revelation, at the very at the end of it, there are those who are gods and those who are not. This is after the resurrection, after death is gone, after Satan's gone, after the names are read out of the books and all that stuff. There are those who are gods and those who are not gods, and it's really the same the same picture here, um, and. That's why when I'm asked by people, well, do I think that there will be those who are not gods, who don't go on to eternity with Jesus? My answer is yes. I think there are. My experience in life is that yes, there are. There are people who are so prideful and so convinced of their own righteousness and the rest of it that they will lock the doors of hell from the inside, as, as C.S. Lewis put it very colorfully lock the doors of hell from the inside. So the, this picture to me, I mean, I don't know why these verses would have been left out of the lectionary. They're, they're basically a statement that will be restated again. They're a restatement of what you find in the Gospels, and they will be further stated in Revelation and elsewhere, because that's the picture, that Jesus will return and finally. What happens on the cross, which is where everything is put right will come to full manifestation. All the world will see. And the last vestiges of, of evil and sin and darkness and violence and envy and um, they, will, they will all be swept away, leaving a world in which there is no mourning and no more tears and these other wonderful descriptions set out in the book of Revelation. And that is what that's what Paul is teaching these these Christians in Thessalonica. And he's why is he doing it? Why does he why does he take the time here in this very short letter 
to talk about the, the, the destruction coming and being shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of the might on the day when Jesus comes to be glorified. There's a lot of big words. And when we come back next week, we'll maybe tease them apart a little bit just so we can see the richness in it. Um, but why does he do it? Because he wants them to be bolstered and to be strengthened, um, to use today's vernacular to know that they made, they made the right choice. Um, it's a gift from God, but it's a gift that we experience often as a choice. That's a, that's a good insight, right? It's a, our, our faith is a gift from God, but it's often experienced by us as a choice we make. But it's a gift from God. And, and this gift that they have been given, they are they are resting in and in doing their part to 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 help build for the kingdom. And that's what these house churches are, are there to do. And he just wants them to know like they chose the right team. When Jesus is crucified, do his disciples think that they chose the right team? Nope. No, they think they chose the wrong team. Their team lost. About as badly as the Cowboys did on Sunday. They think their team lost. Jesus is crucified. He's dead. It's over. They had other the, the their society had other experience with failed would be messiahs. They think they chose the wrong team. So what is the resurrection of Jesus about? To help them see that, ah, they did choose the right team, that Jesus was vindicated, that he was who he claimed to be. And now Paul is reminding these Christians in Thessalonica who are being persecuted that they did choose the right team. And God is just. And their persecutors, those who are attempting to destroy, to destroy the good news, in practice, in real life, will stand to account for it. You know, the good news, I have one other thought, and we'll close it if I have time. The good news is, I'll often describe it, the good news, as a proclamation, because it is a proclamation, but it's more than that. It is, it, ena it enacts something. It is, it is a power. It is the power for salvation. This good news that is spread in itself carries the power of salvation. And turn to Romans chapter 1. I don't need my printed Bible. I'll do it in my... I have so many glasses here. Holy cow. Okay, so go to the book of Romans. This is where we'll finish. Promise. Chapter 1, verse 16. I'll give you a moment to get there. Chapter 1 of Romans, verse 16. And I will say thank you for sticking with us, for coming back. Uh, it was on our end, I think. I think I had a broken internet connection for a little bit there, and that's what happened. So it came back, but there we go. Okay. All right. So, is this Paul in his tour de force? Tour, what is it? Tour de force. Um, his greatest letter, writing to the Christians in Rome, verse 16, he says, For I, Paul, I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel. You think, the world may think it's crazy. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is, it is, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That the good news itself, the good news itself, this preaching of Jesus and spreading it, it it's like it's a cure, it's like it is not only announcing the cure for cancer, it is the cure for cancer. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes through faith, first to the Jew, then to, to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's revealed. 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So, um, Paul knows how important it is that these house churches in Thessalonica survive. And he wants them to know that they did choose the right team, to put it that way. And that one day everything will be put to rights. The world will be put to rights. And um, the judge of all of that, the judgment about that is in the hands of Jesus, who is God, who was in the beginning with God, was in the beginning was with God and was God. And, and that should be a matter of great, of great comfort to everybody. So when we come back next week, we're going to pick it up there roughly. I'll, and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about a few of the big words, important words. I mean big words, they're not $10 words, but a few of the important phrases in that section. And then we will go on in that letter. And hopefully we will have no technical problems next week. So Miss Patty's going to come around. And I'm going to have to figure out how to combine these, how to stitch these bits of video together. Hmm. But I can do that. We I got guess. most of the people back. We, we did. We lost, lost a, a few. So, but we, it, was, uh, it was almost 4 o'clock when was, it happened. It gratefully. Was. Yeah. Very gratefully. Thank you guys all who were here with us today. And we hope you'll come back next week. And if you can, tomorrow, you know, we start the a brand new book study on Tuesdays at noon um, downstairs in Piro Hall. It is also live on the internet like this just was um, on Scott's Facebook page. And it is um, First Samuel. And if you've never done a First Samuel, I can promise you these are some of the... <coughs> The best stories. Oh my goodness. There's, oh my goodness. It is. There's so one after many another. Interesting stories of things that you may know part of, or you may, like me, I've sat through this a couple times, but it will be such a great refresher of things that I completely will have forgotten about. And it's a story of Jesus' family. Yes, it is. Right? It yeah. sure is. <laughs> it sure is. And um, those of us. Uh, who have been fortunate enough to go to Israel, and those who have been to Shiloh, will know this is. I've got some few couple of pictures of Shiloh. I got lots of maps tomorrow. Oh, good, yeah. good, good, good. Yeah. All righty. So, if you would join me as we close today, Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the sun, the sh sunshiny, beautiful day in January, and we thank you, God, for the ability to come together like this online, um, as we did today, Lord. We pray, God, that you would watch over and take care of each of us and our, our family and our friends, Lord. And um, we just pray that 2023 will be a year, Lord, where your word comes to life for us um, like never before. That we'll actually be listening with fresh ears, um, sometimes over stories or uh, gospels or just whatever, Lord. In, but we'll, we'll hear it in a new way this year. And we just thank you, Lord. All of this we lift up to you today, and we pray in the great name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, friends. Bye, so, guys. adios. Bye bye. See you tomorrow.